And uh, last week we gave the introduction to the series, and at that time we we really had not planned on recording the messages, and since then we've decided we we might as well record the Wednesday night uh, Bible studies as well as Sunday morning and Sunday evening. So we're going to do that, and because we're going to do that, and I'm not going to take a lot of time, but uh, for the sake of someone that, you know, might be listening or maybe later on you want to go over it, I want to take just just a few minutes and backtrack and review what we talked about last week. A paradox, and uh, I read the definition from several different dictionaries and so forth, but it is something that seems to be absurd, something that seems to be so far out there, so so weird, so wacky, that just can't be true, but in reality, it is. And uh, so that's what a paradox is. It's uh, uh, whether it's a statement, a doctrine, or an expression, it, it's something that seems contradictory to, to common sense, and, and yet it's true. Last week I talked about three things regarding paradoxes. First of all, the reality of paradoxes, and then the reason for paradoxes, and the result of paradoxes. Uh, concerning the reality of it, we mentioned the fact that there are paradoxes in life. And uh, it's just easy to look around and we could learn, you know, uh, a, a lot from things that we've heard before. Like, you know, uh, we learn from history that we don't learn from history. Well, you know, that's a, a paradox. And I, I mentioned the fact of the, of the parent, you know, that seemingly was beating the child and, uh, and would have been abuse under any other uh, circumstances, but in this case, the kid had ingested some sleeping pills, and the doctor said, "You got to do whatever you got to do to keep her awake, you know, till uh, till you get her to the hospital." And so, uh, that's a paradox. I mean, you normally don't beat your children that way. So there are paradoxes in life. There's paradoxes in science. Uh, I mentioned the the fact uh, having to do with light, and we talked about I think colors and salt and different things of that nature. So there are paradoxes in life in general, in science. There are paradoxes in the Bible. And, of course, that's where we're going to be camping out for the next several weeks. And um, and I'm not sure exactly what order we'll go in after tonight. But the Bible tells us to live, that we have to die. To get, we've got to give. Uh, the Bible tells us the first will be last. And if we're going to rule, we have to serve. And that list goes on and on and on. Well, those are the things we're going to be talking about in this series, the paradoxes in the Bible. Uh, but then I mentioned not only do we see paradoxes in the Bible and in science and in life, we see the ultimate paradox in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically His death on the cross. It was foolishness to the Greeks. It was a stumbling block to the Jews. I mean, it made absolutely no sense to the, you know, the so-called intelligentsia of that day. And to the Jews, you know, it was a stumbling block because they thought, you know, if he's really the Messiah, you know, how did he end up getting crucified? We're looking for someone to come and deliver us from the you know, the iron heel of the Roman government and set up a kingdom here on this earth. And that's what they were expecting. So they, you know, they couldn't understand what Calvary was about or didn't understand anyway. So there's the reality of paradoxes. But then 
We mentioned the reason for them. And I'm certain that, uh, you know, somebody else's list might be different than mine. But there's some things that I think have to be on that list. For one thing, we talked about that living by faith requires paradoxes. Living by faith requires paradoxes because, you know, we're living by faith and not by sight. In other words, you can't always see it, and you've got to admit, you know, some sometimes the things that God has His people to do seem to be foolish, certainly in the eyes of the world. It makes no sense whatsoever, and yet God says, that's what I want you to do. And uh, so, in order to follow the Lord by faith, sometimes we have to do the opposite of what seems to make just common sense. And uh, and I, I could stand here and give you several examples out of... Uh, my own life of uh, decisions that I knew God wanted me to make, but it made no sense whatsoever at the time. I'll never forget my boss telling me one day, he said, you're crazy. He said, there's no way in the world it's going to work out. You're going to end up bankrupt and starving and everything else. Just that no way it can work out. You can't live on what that little old church out there can pay you. And he didn't realize my father owned the cattle on a thousand hills and the, and, and all of the taters in the hills. He owned it all. And, and God did take care of us. But living by faith demands paradoxes. Not only that, but paradoxes help us to realize and to consider that there are two sides to the coin. And it's real easy for us to get out of balance on things, right? I'm talking about things involving theology. In other words, we think about God and we think how how loving, how wonderful, how compassionate God is. And that's all well and good, but there are some preachers and some people that have allowed their theology to get out of bounds to the point that all they think about is God being a God of love, and they forget about the fact that He is a God of wrath also. He's a just and a holy God. That's why Paul said, Behold, that is, focus your attention on, you know, get your sight on the fact Behold the goodness, both the goodness and the severity of God. So there's two sides to the coin. When we have a paradox, we're forced to look at both sides of the issue. Not only that, but paradoxes have a way of getting our attention. And, you know, that's key to learning. I think just about every preacher has spent some time trying to come up with a a sermon title that's kind of catchy, you know, and especially if you announce it ahead of time, I'm going to preach next week on this or that, and trying to get their attention. And uh, uh, Brother Ron was telling me he, he thought about changing the one, uh, I guess it was from last week or the week before, I don't remember what he said, but he, he had some little catchy title, probably a better one than than what I had on it. But but that's the whole point. If you don't get the attention of people, you're not going to be able to get through to them and to help them. And paradoxes have a way of doing that. Not only that, but paradoxes cause us to expand our thought and to think more deeply. And we certainly need that, because if ever there was a generation of surface thinkers, it's today. And we need to think more deeply on the things of God. Well, very quickly, I mentioned three results of paradoxes. And first of all, one result, it indicates that there is probably truth on both sides of an issue. And the whole truth 
is not necessarily somewhere in between, but the whole truth is a combination of the two sides. And so that's one result. It helps us to put the pieces together where we've got the whole picture. And then it expands our knowledge of God, who, regardless of how you look at God, is is paradoxical. I don't I don't care how you look at it. You can't explain God. That's why I say quite often God's in the class by Himself. I mean, whenever He said, I am, uh, you know, He was saying, I am the self-sufficient one. God doesn't need anyone else. I mean, He is sufficient in and of Himself. And, and so whenever we think about God and we look at the paradoxes in the Bible, it helps us to better understand God. And you'll remember I pointed out the fact that God has to accommodate our ignorance. That is, God has to use language and, you know, human language where we can convey thought and what have you. And paradoxes uh, helps us to do that. And in that sense, that brings us to the third thing is paradoxes tell us things that really can't be expressed in in any other way. And I mentioned the famous ballerina, and, you know, somebody was asking her, you know, what are you saying when you do that, you know? And and she was saying, if I I knew what it was, I wouldn't have to dance. And in other words, there's it's an expression. And paradoxes are a bit like that. G.K. Chesterton had, I think, the best statement of all regarding that. He said, a paradox is truth standing on her head to attract attention. You know, hey, look at me, look at me. And that's, that's why paradoxes are important. Well, tonight, we start on the very first one, and I, I will say I chose this first one for a reason. And uh, because I think it gets to the very root of everything else that we'll be talking about. I read an amusing story of a woman who was buying some feathery stuffing for a pillow. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, all of my life I've liked a, a down pillow because there's nothing in the world like that, you know. Uh, well, I, I, I didn't think there was until... Uh, till finally I got a Tempur-Pedic pillow the other day, and wow, I mean, that thing is awesome. But but I'd always used a feather pillow because, you know, you can twist it and wad it up, and you can get it exactly like you want it, and, and so forth. Well, this woman was making some pillows, and so whenever she heard the price... She said, well, I said, that's expensive. said, the price must have gone up. And, and the clerk waiting on her said, yeah, that's right, down is up. Down is up. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Down is up. We're going to talk about down of a different sort tonight. And uh, to start off, turn to Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew chapter 23. I want to read one verse here and another in the Gospel of Luke. And then we'll talk about this, that up is down and down is up. Matthew 23, verse number 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself, and by the way, plenty do. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Now, turn to Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 52. And there are so many different verses that we could read in this regards. But this gives us a good starting point. Verse 52 of Luke chapter 1. He have put down the mighty from their seats 
and exalted them of low degree. Now let's look at both sides of this coin. First of all, let's look at the way down. This is why I started this series with this. Because God hates pride. And He doesn't make any bones about it. I mean, he, he just flat out tells us that he hates a proud look. He hates pride. That ought to make this a matter of concern to every single one of us, and especially whenever we think about what pride does. And, and uh, I've, I've preached entire sermons just on, on that subject, and I'm not going to do that tonight and have no idea what I said at the time, but... But think about, for just a minute, and I'm going to try to reduce this down to the bare bones, think about some of the things that pride does. First of all, it overestimates self. You know, proud people want to be noticed, they want to be admired, they want to be flattered, and that's why they tend to exaggerate. I, I, I knew a man growing up, and this this guy, it was absolutely amazing, and... Uh, he was a very close family friend. Well, he was my little league baseball coach, a man that meant a lot in my life. And, uh, and he was saved later on, I had the privilege of baptizing him. But, but growing up, I tell you what, Bill lied whenever he knew, everybody knew he was lying. We'd go fishing and, uh, and, you know, me and him and his boy and dad and, and sometimes just me and his son would go to fishing with him, and and then he'd be telling somebody else the story. And, and let let's say we caught twenty that day, and he'd be telling somebody the story, and he'd say he called me Sonny. That was my nickname that he gave me, and he'd say yeah, we caught forty four. Or four. I always had some some weird number. It was never never forty, never thirty. We had we caught forty four, I'll tell you. And and if we'd have stayed there we could have caught that many more. Isn't that right, Sonny, you know, and elbow me and uh, and I'm just a kid and I'm saying, Yeah, that's right. What you know, whatever you say that's true. But this guy exaggerated everything. His last name was Adams and I'll never forget Bill told us one time there was a second baseman that played uh, second base for the Cincinnati Reds and uh, by the name of Bobby Adams. And, and he had us convinced for a year or two that, that this was his brother. And he told all kinds of stories about him and Bobby growing up. Uh, Bobby wasn't even related to him, didn't even know him. And, and it just went on and on. Well, why do people do things like that? They do that because they want attention. And it's a pride issue in their life, you see. People, pride makes us think we are better than we are, or that we feel like that we are more important than we are, or that we deserve more than what we have. Uh, I read about a man that had um, had agreed to teach an adult Sunday school class, and th- those of you that have taught especially adults, you can imagine how nervous you get. And so this is the night before, and he is pacing the floor. He is nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof, and he's pacing back and forth. And his wife's sitting there, and he keeps saying things like, you know, I'm not worthy of trying to show people how to live a better life. You know, I'm just not worthy of this position and so forth. And finally the wife said, just remember, you're only going to tell them about God. You're not God. 
You know, you're not trying to be God. Just tell them about God. But boy, sometimes it's so easy. I, I can remember as a young preacher, and I'll never forget this. And, uh, and uh, uh, I did the first church I pastored. And uh, I made a lot of racket. I mean, there was a lot of thunder and lightning. Not much rain, but when I preached, I mean, you knew it. I, I mean, boy, the next day I couldn't even open my hands from beating the pulpit, and I'd scream and yell like a Comanche, and and uh, I put everything into it. Uh, but uh, and I'll never forget after the service, this one woman came up to me and said, "Boy, you preach better than Billy Graham." And boy, I mean, all of a sudden my head started. Of course, I never did really like the way Billy preached anyway, but, but I thought, you know, he's famous. So that's a compliment, you know. I hadn't gone to Bible college and yet had the guys down at the college in the dorms and they were calling me to come down there and hold Bible meeting, Bible studies and devotions over in the dorms down at the Bible college. And uh, then, you know, they asked me to be on the Jack Van Empey's uh, uh, financial committee and some things. And so after a while, you know, my head's getting bigger and bigger, you know. Boy, I'm, I'm going to go up the ladder. I'm going to be somebody, you know, some, somebody someday, you know. And it's real easy. And let me tell you, it can happen to anyone. And we've got to be so very careful about that. Uh, that we start thinking that we're better than what we are or we deserve more than what we have. So it overestimates self. Secondly, it overlooks others. You see, the person that's lifted up with pride looks down on others because he feels like he's superior. You know, and contrary to what he thinks, nobody likes to be around people like that. You know, in other words, pride's doing exactly the opposite of what the guy wants to happen. He wants people to think more of him, but because of his pride, they think less of him. And in our pride, it causes us to overlook others. I I was thinking about this this afternoon in a certain situation, and you know, sometimes, and and i got to tell you, I mean, this happens not just with people in general. Sometimes I get this way with members of my own family, maybe more than anyone else, whether it's kids or grandkids. And, and there's, sometimes you look at people and you, uh, especially younger people, and, and you look at them and you, and, and you, you just, you just, you just wonder what in the world are they thinking? What are they doing? This is absolutely off the wall crazy. What, what are they doing? You know, one of the things that we forget sometimes, in the first place, we forget some of the stupid things we did when we were growing up. But in the second place, we've, we've got to realize that some people have limitations that maybe you and I don't have. they got limitations or problems of some kind. It might be mental. It might be some severe emotional problems. And let me tell you, every single week... There are people attending the services here that have deep emotional problems and that, that you, you'll probably never even know about, but they're very troubled people. We gotta, look, we gotta be careful that we, that we don't hold people like that at arm's length just because they don't have it all together that we get to thinking we're better than they are and we treat them roughly and speak to them, you know, gruffly and, 
I can look back over the years and there's been several different people and boy, some names comes to my mind and some people that nearly, uh, the, the kind that they just grate on your nerves and drive you crazy and you, and, and you, <laughs> you see them coming in and you know, you know what's going to happen. And, uh, poor Brother Brown, he's dead and gone now and in heaven, but boy, Brother Brown, I, I mean, he, those of you who've been around a long time, you know who I'm talking about. He could get on your nerves and just drive you up a tree. But you got to realize he had certain limitations that other people don't have. And we better never get so cocky and so proud that we mistreat people like that. And by mistreat, I mean ignore them and hold them at arm's length like we don't want anything to do with them. They, they're just as deserving of our love and attention as anybody else. So, pride overestimates self. It overlooks others. But it obstructs success. It obstructs success. And, and it does that in several different ways. For one thing, for one thing, it creates contention. In fact, and this, if you don't get down any other verse, you need to get this one down. Proverbs 13 and verse 10, where it says, only by pride comes contention. Only by pride. Boy, if we could get rid of all of the contention in the world, wouldn't this be a great place to live? I mean, all of the fussing, all of the fighting, the, the, you know, the contention that's in families and churches and what have you. Well, pride creates contention. There wouldn't, there wouldn't be any contention were it not for pride. Not only that, but pride also in regards to obstructing our success, it does it by ruining relationships because it's creating contention, but also it, 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 concentrates on self-confidence. In other words, you know, if you're real prideful, what you'll tend to depend on yourself. And, uh, you know, I, I can handle, there used to be an old country song that said, I can handle this job all by myself. Well, some people live by that code. They don't need God. They don't need you. They don't need anyone. They can take care of it all by themselves. And it always leads to defeat and destruction. The Bible says, and get these verses down, Proverbs 16, verse 18, and chapter 18, verse 12. And it tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The quickest way in the world to destroy yourself is to get proud of who you are. And it's interesting to note, someone asked me about this very thing last week and. And uh, we, we were talking about it, and I was pointing out the fact, you know, we talk about the failures of the different people in the Bible. And it's really amazing, is it not, that this is one reason I'm convinced that the Bible is indeed the Word of God. Because when God paints a picture of a man, He paints him warts and all. In other words, He shows the bad as well as the good. He's not trying to hide the flaws of those that we look at as heroes. Abraham failed, and there it is. Moses failed, and there it is. I mean, it's, it's laid out for everybody to see. But the interesting thing is that all of those failures in, in every instance... It was, it, the pride was involved, but there's a couple of other things. Pride was involved, but it was usually in the novice stage, uh, of their life. And, and I'm not talking about in the early years of their life so much as their, the early years of their walk with the Lord. 
And uh, th- that's always a dangerous time. More importantly is this fact. Every one of them failed in their strong point. In their strong point. I, I mean, here you, th- you think about Moses, this great leader, you know, a man that loves God and leading the children of Israel. And, uh, boy, you've got to admit, it'd be hard to put up with them and their belly aching, complaining all of the time. And what did he do? He lost his temper and smote the rock. I mean, he lost his cool. There's Abraham. What's he known for? Oh, he's a great man of faith. Really? Really? What did he do? And I'm talking about right off the bat. He gets down there in Egypt and starts lying and gets into all kinds of trouble. He failed at his strong point. And then, of course, there's David. You know, and uh, David failed at his strong point. I mean, here was a man, the Bible says... That, that he, he had a heart that was after God, a man after God's own heart. And what does he do? Unbelievable. Solomon, the wisest man in all of the world, and you, you just can't get any dumber than to do what he did. But yet he was known for his wisdom. And even when I think about the patience of Job, and, and here, here's a man, the Bible tells us that Job was just and upright of all of the people on the earth at that time. He was at the head of the class, the top of the list. I mean, Job had it all together. And, and none of that suffering that Job went through was due to any fault in the life of Job. He was not being corrected for any sin or any such thing as that. That had nothing to do with it. And the only place wherein Job failed was what? Trying to justify himself by appealing, you know, and pointing out to his so-called friends that, oh, you say I'm a hypocrite, I'm really not. Instead of Job justifying what God was doing, Job's trying to justify himself, and, and finally he comes around But the only failure I read about concerning Job was the pride, you know, that caused him to start boasting about self instead of bragging about God. And then there's another thing in regards to this. We're we're still talking about how that pride causes us to, you know, to obstruct our success. It creates contention, causes us to concentrate on ourself instead of God. But it causes carelessness. And I think from what I just said about those men, especially David and Solomon, I, I don't think I need to say any more about that. It just causes us to be careless. Maybe the best example I can think of is from the sports world. And uh, those of you that, you know, that follow baseball, football, basketball, whatever it is, no doubt you can think back to some team that actually had the best team in the league. And, uh, in fact, they were the champions. They won the World Series, the Super Bowl, or whatever it was the year before. They're better than anyone else, and it shows, and they know it. And what happens? Oh, they get comfortable in that position, you see. They get to the place that they become careless, and what happens? Some upstart team beats them out the next year. Pride causes us to be careless. Now, one more thing in this regards. And that is pride offends God. And in fact, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 tells us that he hates a proud look. 
And again and again, he points that out. God is offended. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. There's Lucifer. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the handiwork of God? And he makes a creature such as Lucifer, you know, the bright and the shining star. The I mean, boy, you, you, you talk about a beauty. I mean, he was, but the Bible tells us that he was lifted up with his pride to the point that he said that I, I'm, I'm going to exalt myself above God. And I, I, in other words, I'm going to sit on his throne. I, I'm going to take over this show. And, and the, the fall of, of Lucifer and of the angels that went with him was all due to pride. Sennacherib is another example of that. The, you know, the Syrian, oh, Sennacherib, I mean, here was a man that uh, he thought he was running the whole world, and a lot of people would have believed that. But God put him in his place. The same thing happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You can just see old Nebuchadnezzar out there munching on that grass, crazy as an ox, you know. I mean, God just took his mind from him and stripped him of everything he had. And then, of course, there was Belshazzar. He comes along, and now he's in control. And... And you remember the the story about the writing on the wall. This guy's got a dream, you know, and uh, and uh, in, in, he can't interpret the dream, so Daniel does. And what did he say? This night, your soul is going to be required of thee. And God took his life as a result of the pride that was in his heart. I'm telling you, the way the way the way down is to be lifted up with pride. John DeLorean, the auto entrepreneur, and, uh, you know, right right here, I guess still got the shop right down here uh, by, by the Beltway, whoever's running that place anyway. And whenever, as he was talking about the failure of his sports car company and his cocaine addiction, and uh, there was a conspiracy trial, and uh, his model wife divorced him, and Here's what he said, and I jotted it down several years ago. I wanted to remember it. Here's what he said when it all fell apart. I believe I deserve what happened to me. The deadliest sin is pride. I was an arrogant egomaniac. I needed this. As difficult as it was to get my perspective back. Isn't it a shame, though, that that people have to go through such horrible suffering in order to get the proper perspective on life. Well, that's the way down. Now let's talk about the way up. Proverbs 15, verse 33. And Solomon writes, Before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. Now I want to give you three examples of that and then a brief exhortation. The examples... And these names just leap out at me whenever I think about a spirit of humility. And the first one is Joseph. I mean, here is Joseph after all he had been through, and now he is a slave in Potiphar's house. How unfair is that? And yet he behaved himself wisely in spite of that. He, he is lied about. He is put in prison. He goes through all of this. And, and through all of it, through all of it, God exalts him 
to the place that he's in charge of the, of the greenhouse. I mean, he's got the keys to the bank. And God uses him in that great way. Why? Well, simply because of the fact that he had an humble spirit about him. And even whenever he is finally promoted, it's not... Can you imagine those brothers coming down into Egypt and you being in Joseph's positions and, you know, it's get even time, buddy. I mean, you guys, look at what you did to me. You wrecked my life. You ruined my life. And and it's payback time now. You, You know, a lot of us would have dealt with it in that way, but he was made out of better stuff than that. And then, of course, there's there's David, just the shepherd boy. And David certainly wasn't perfect. But, you know, you think about David going out against Goliath, and boy, all of the odds is against him. And he goes out, and he kills Goliath, and he comes back. Now, get the picture in your mind. He comes back, and the women are all dancing in the street. I mean, boy, they're having a hoedown. It's a happy time, and everybody is rejoicing. And their song says, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. In other words, Saul, he ain't done nothing compared to what David's... Now, now put yourself in his place. And especially, especially whenever you know that, wait a minute, that God has already revealed, you know, to your daddy that, that you've been anointed king. And all of this time, David could be just waiting for the opportunity to overthrow the king. And he doesn't do any of that. He stays in his place until the right time. Even in the cave, whenever Saul comes in looking for him, trying to kill him, and whenever they, and they, they find Saul there asleep, and David's, David's buddy said, kill him, get rid of this problem right now. And David spared his life. Well, he cut off a little bit of his robe there just to embarrass him and let him know he had been there. He could have slit his throat. <laughs> and then to show you what a guy he was, he got to feeling bad about that and apologized for having even done that and being, having been disrespectful to the king. You see, God put David where he was and used David like he did. Why? Because he had an humble spirit about him. But the best example, of course, is Jesus. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. I remember... It's probably been eight or ten years ago I preached a series of messages just from these verses. And there's so much here. But I I just want to take time to read some of these. And you think about the example of Christ. In verse number five, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Remember the way up is what? It's down. He humbled himself and now he is exalted and given a name which is above every name. 
You see, there's the real example of humility for us. Now, two things by way of exhortation as we bring this to a close. And, and uh, these are some things that will help, help us to not be lifted up with pride. Just, you know, two, two things we need to get a hold of. First of all, we need to re- realize uh, what we are. To be mindful of who we are. Just a sinner saved by grace. That song pretty well tells the story, right? I mean, here we are totally undeserving of God's grace. None of us deserve to be saved, to be forgiven. None of us deserve heaven. If we ever lose sight of who we are and get to thinking that we are earning our way with God, we're in big trouble. Secondly, not only the realization of what we are, but we need to have regard for others. Go back to Philippians here in the verse that I did not read, again in chapter number 2, but I I want you to notice what it says in verse 3, let nothing, yes, that'd be everything, right? Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's not always so easy to do, you know it. In the 18th century, George Whitfield was the most famous preacher on the face of the earth. There for a period of time, as many as 20,000 people attended his outdoor meetings. Can you imagine preaching outdoors to 20,000 people? And it would have been real easy for him to have been lifted up with pride. And through all of that, the one thing he was known for, I guess above everything else, was his, was his humble spirit. And he, when he signed the letters, nearly always, this is what he said, less than the least of all saints, George Whitfield. That, that's exactly what Paul just told us to do, to think more highly of others than we do ourselves, and that would sure solve a, a lot of problems. I said that was the last thing, but I'm going to mention one more. The realization of what we are, regard for others. But number three, the recognition that glory belongs to God alone. That He alone is worthy of glory. And it's not right for us to try to take the glory that belongs to God. And even in the good things that we do and the abilities that we have... We have those abilities and we have those opportunities. Why? Because of God. It's not because we're smarter, not because we're better. It's because God chose to give us what we have or to use us in the way that, that, that He has chosen. And so all of the glory belongs to Him. And that's why the Bible says whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. And if we do that, It'll take care of the pride problem in our life. The way up is down. Jesus proved it on the cross. We need to live it out in shoe leather day by day.
Let's bow our heads together.